0: Welcome back to another episode of I've Been Thinking with your host, Brietta Calloway. I am so thrilled and so excited for today's episode. Now, I always feel good about the people that I bring to the podcast. I take that very seriously. But this one in particular feels very, very good to me. Dr. Taniqua Miller is a board-certified obstetrician-gynecologist with a special focus in midlife and menopause health. Now, she received her undergraduate degree in psychology at Yale University And after completing her medical degree at Harvard Medical School, she went on to complete her residency training in obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, Virginia. She's a first-generation college graduate and physician, and she's a committed educator and advocate for underrepresented medical students and physician trainees. She's been recognized by Emory School of Medicine and the Association of Professors in Gynecology and Obstetrics for her teaching excellence and innovative curriculum development. Now, after 14 years of practice, Dr. Miller took a step back from her clinical care to center herself in her journey of burnout and she tells her own story of professional burnout to empower women over the age of 40 to live a boundless midlife. And we're gonna dig more into that when we have a chance to talk with her. She's not only a doctor, not only an educator, she's a wife, she's a mom of three kids. She's a founder of Taniqua MD, which is an educational platform for women in midlife. And when she's not doing all of those other things, she likes to visit the beach, hang out with her family. She hopefully gets some naps in there as well. I know her to be not just a wonderful educator, but an unbelievable advocate for the issues around underrepresented folks i find her to be like not just smart but incredibly delightful and i'm so thrilled to welcome her to the podcast so hi dr miller how are you that was so nice right
1: (laughs) isn't it funny when you hear your bio read out you're like oh my gosh that's so nice No, but I think it was the way that you read it. You got that special sauce.
0: I try. (laughs) I try. Now, I have to tell you that one of the things that I was stressing about, I was like, I've never called Dr. Miller Taniqua ever. I'm like, I only call her Dr. Miller. So I will say I will probably use them interchangeably, but it feels a lot like calling your principal by their first name. It's like you just wouldn't do that. But I'm so thrilled that you said yes to the podcast. I know I said a lot about who you are and what you do, but for folks who don't know you or the things that you're interested, is there anything that I miss that you would wanna share?
1: I really like to emphasize that my pathway was one that wasn't, Um, written for me, I really stress the fact that I was first generation and what that has done in terms of my burnout journey, which we'll get into a little bit later, really has shaped that Mm -hmm. um, because there was no script, right? Mm -hmm. There was no script. And so you don't have that script. You kind of piece together what everyone else is doing just to kind of make it through. And that was my turning point that day in April when I found myself in my car, like what I felt like was having a panic attack. So um, I'm really excited to get into that. And I'm hoping that my story and how I've kind of come through my burnout and um, how I want to really reach out to other women and, and, and empower them to really see themselves in this boundless way in this midlife journey. I'm hoping that that will touch someone today.
0: Well, I, I love
1: so much of what
0: you do. I know, so I know you, and I know that you focus on midlife and menopause, clinically. Um, But I would love to know sort of from your own personal perspective, like you've now spent 14 years dedicated to this path of being an amazing clinician, being an amazing educator. What was it that led you to the place of like, there's like, I'm feeling something. And I don't know if that's burnout, or I don't know what it is. But what led you to that place? And tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, So I entered medical school in 2004 and graduated and went straight into residency, as most medical graduates do, and then graduated and then went straight into my first clinical job in an academic program, which I'm still in. And, you know, medicine steps are very calculated and very written out in the way that like you go to residency, then you start a job and then you uh, take your boards, you become board certified. And then at that point, you're trying to you're supposed to figure things out. You're supposed to kind of figure out what your niche is and you're supposed to figure out what your passions are. And I found my niche and my passion in midlife health and menopausal health. And I felt really, really empowered. But on the flip side, you know, I make the joke. I was DEI before it was a DEI, you know, right. when there was like more of that recognition, like, no, we need to really find equitable spaces. And my passion was always trainees. I went that route. Mm-hmm. And then there was this expectation that I would do more. And not more in terms of the work, I'm used to doing work, but more in terms of like being in leadership and taking on these roles that took me away, honestly, from the down on boots on the ground work that I truly, truly enjoyed. But it was kind of like, if you're moving up, right, Mm -hmm. you're, if you're moving up and I say this to all of my clients, like whose flag are you waving, right? Was it my flag that I wanted to take on these leadership roles? Or was someone imposing their thoughts for who I should be that made me take on these roles? And so getting clear, it, that got a little muddy, um, I would say a couple of years back. Then COVID hit and your, your, your priorities realign, right? Yep. I had children that were homeschooling. My son was diagnosed with ADHD at the time. My husband um, is also a physician. And so both of us trying to manage our physician households without a lot of support was incredibly stressful. And I started noticing a lot of irritability. I started noticing a lot of like unhealthy behaviors that weren't really characteristic for me. So being really snappy, I discovered the term over drinking where one cup of Prosecco became two cups of Prosecco became the bottle. And I really was like, this is just not me. Like this doesn't feel good in my body. And I really didn't know why. Yeah. Until just, I would say in January, February of 2022, when it seemed to be spilling over into all aspects of my life. So not only was I numbing, coming home and just like sitting on my couch, not wanting to be engaged. I was at a point that like, I cut my family off for a little while cause I just couldn't cope with what that meant. I was trying to like figure out stuff with my children, my interactions with patients started changing to the point that I was like hiding in my call room when I was on call, not wanting to interact unless I absolutely had to. Yeah. And you know me, that is not me. That's not you. That's not me. And so um, I, I hired a coach at the time, myself. I hired a coach at the time. And the coach was really hired to help me negotiate some of the power that I felt like I had relinquished over the pandemic, not realizing that it wasn't just the pandemic, but it was almost this like upbringing in medicine, upbringing in professional circles that really forced you to relinquish some of that power so that you can survive. And hearing a coach tell me that I know you're in these meetings and they're saying these crazy things. And I know that you feel guilty that you're not able to feel empowered to speak up in those spaces, but recognize that These spaces weren't really built for you and you choosing, you're constantly negotiating what fights you're going to fight. That's exhausting. And so it was really validating, but at the same time, it really killed my spirit. (laughs) One day I had a meeting and there was something wonderful that my committee did in terms of DEI. I was really proud of the work that we had done, but there was really no celebration. Uh. There was a lot of skepticism. There was a lot of questioning. I found that every time I was showing up now in this leadership role, I had to always justify my thoughts, my opinions with literature searches and articles and what are other programs doing? And and it really just was like in this moment, it became almost like a fever pitch because I felt like I was like, like, like muted. Like I couldn't speak up for myself and I didn't have like the words because there was a lot of fear. Yeah. And so my body wasn't feeling great. Um, when I was in residency, I had terrible anxiety on very specific rotations. Uh-huh. It literally would be I would start a rotation and I would have chest heaviness and I did my due diligence. I had my full workup, you know, all the things. And it was literally how I manifested anxiety. Well, it went away for the most part after residency. And then all of a sudden that chest pain started coming back. Yeah. And I was like, girl, you, you, you back now, like (laughs) it's time to come back. And I remember that I literally wanted to jump out of my body every time I felt this. Mm -hmm. And this particular day in April, I went to my car. I drove to work because now I have to see patients after this very heavy meeting that I had and literally, as I pressed park, like the chest pain, I couldn't breathe it away. Like I used right. to relax, like, I couldn't breathe it away. And I literally was in my seat in the hospital parking lot. Yeah. I just kept crying. Yeah. And I was like, is this my life? Yeah. Well, on the outside, right? I'm first generation, right? My mom's from Trinidad, um, single parent. And first, go to college. First, go to medical school. I have this lovely husband. I have three healthy children. Yada yada yada. All of these things, but I am in my car sobbing. Like, oh my gosh, I hate all of this. <laughs> like, I don't like. What is is this? my like existence, you yeah. know. And it was so strange to me because on the on that one side, I wanted to give my space to really feel that, but immediately was like chest pain. You need to go away and I need to be grateful. I'm blessed. I'm grateful. I'm blessed, you know? And so not really being able to like fully or allowing myself to fully be in it. Uh-huh. Um, I felt like was part of what was keeping me back and keeping me silenced. So I show up in clinic and I'm like raging. I am not myself. And I thank God for, um, what my coach calls my spotter. One of my colleagues, was just looking at me and she was like, Are you okay? And I was like, going off. Yeah. <laughs> Which is again, so not me. And the next day she called me and I was like, I she said, I think you need some time off. She was like, I think this has been like a crappy couple of years. Yeah. I think things are reaching a fever pitch for you. I don't want to see you just leave the field because yeah. that was a real thought. Like I talked to my husband, I was like, I'll just quit. And she was like, I think you just need a break. And even the thought of taking a break, we don't take breaks. But that's exactly right. That's exactly right. (laughs) We don't take breaks. Okay. So to say, for her to say, I really think you need to take a break. And I said, and do what? She said, and do nothing or do everything or do whatever it is that you want. And I was like, yeah, I'll think about it. I'll see. And then that following week, this was on a Thursday, that Monday, I was sitting on labor and delivery, just crying in tears. And I was like, okay, yeah. and that's when I filed my um, FMLA paper. And for me at that point, I was like leaving to survive, right. leaving to come back to the field in a really meaningful way. Um, I thought I, at the moment, I thought I was leaving and never coming back or that yeah. I was leaving so that I can make my transition plan to leave medicine altogether or right. to leave or whatever it was. But I'm happy that I did that because I was able to come back to myself, but I needed the space to come back to myself.
0: That makes it so much of what you're saying is tracking for me. And I like, I want to circle back to a few things that you said, because I think I don't know how many people really understand the pressure of being in high performing fields mm-hmm. and that <laughs> pressure of like, and, and I think medicine, like I'm... I am obviously not in medicine. I always say like, I like hanging out with doctors to get like a few phrases so I can sound smart, but like, that's not my path. But I do, but I do certainly understand what it means to be in high performing sort of spaces. And I don't think enough people understand that when so much of your life is mapped towards achievement, Mm -hmm. there is something that happens to the brain that Mm -hmm. doesn't know how to just be everything becomes about more, higher, the title, the position, the thing. And so something that you said resonated with me so much because that battle between like, I'm supposed to grow, I'm supposed to be promoted. Like that's what's supposed to happen to then not go after that feels like, and I'm curious if you agree, or maybe you can explain how it felt for you. For me, whenever I face those sort of decisions, it feels like, well, then I'm a failure, right? Like I'm failing because I, I don't have anything to show someone that says like, look, I did so good that I got this or I did so well that like they my new title is X. And so now I feel like a failure. And I'm curious, what were you feeling outside of like the rage and the fear and all of that? How did that feel for you to say like, I'm gonna stop? Mm -hmm. and like center on myself what did that actually feel like for you
1: yeah I mean we didn't even get into the promotion conversation because that is a nuts in and of itself but um oh my gosh shame Uh I felt the first week after I actually was on leave I cried probably daily Yeah. And there was like this deep shame that I had let my team down. I had let my family down. I had let my legacy down. Um, Here I am. I had made it this far and I had to like kind of pause for a little bit. I couldn't push through. There was an incredible sense of isolation um, because I would complain about like what was happening and I would complain to colleagues but everybody else seemed to be doing okay. People yeah. were like, Yeah, girl, yeah. But then they were showing up to work and doing the work. And I was just like, Is nobody else seeing kind of like how preposterous all of this is? Like, I felt like I was literally living in my own head. And there was just this incredible amount of shame, a credible amount of isolation. Um, That first week, I remember I actually set up um, one of my colleagues. We did a virtual, um, a digital course together and it's really centered in tapping. And the chest pain was like raging at this point, even that first week. And we had a tapping session and I was just so upset at myself and I was like, and I used the word extract. Like I just wanted to extract myself, almost like disappear. Yeah. Because there was so much shame around the fact that I had paused. Hmm. My husband, everybody else was grateful. Like my husband was like, "Thank God, you need a break." Like my business yeah. community, I was like, "Please meet with me. Tell me all the books to read so I can be a better person." And they were right. like, "This, yes, you need to sit still." Um. But literally, I used the word extract, and there was something that she said. That was really what catapulted this whole boundless journey Mm -hmm. for me. She said, how about we think of your chest pain as your intuition? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't understand. She said, you you literally want to run from your feeling. She said, but what if your chest pain and how you're exhibiting anxiety is your intuition telling you that you're not safe? Right. Blew my mind. And I was like, oh, huh. And,
0: and I, what I love so much about that moment of aha, that moment of understanding is like the minute you don't demonize the feeling, then you're like, oh, it's telling me something, right? Like that, but, but that moment of choosing not to demonize or have the shame and, or, or any of those feelings around it. Cause I, I often think about this as well. It's like, how do i get how do i subtract what's happening from the feelings that i'm feeling about it mm-hmm. enough to understand what's happening uh, and that's i mean that's the hard work right like that's the the root of it but i i think something that you said also that feels really important to highlight and especially in a conversation like this is i just don't think enough people are just honest that they're struggling, right? Mm -hmm. Because something that you said is something that I have felt so many times, which is I've been in situations where I look around and I'm like, how is everyone happy in this? (laughs) And I'm like, and I, and I would say to people, I'm like, I wish someone would tell me what I'm not doing right, because everyone seems okay. And Mm -hmm. I'm not okay. And Then you realize it's only like years later where you realize you have a conversation. They're like, oh, no, everyone's like in pain and struggling. We're just like doing a good job of hiding it or like not talking about it. And I think just the power of what you're saying is enough for someone to sort of put language to their own experience to be like, no, actually, everyone is sort of facing their own thing. It may not be burnout, but like everyone's facing calibration. Like what mm-hmm. am I going to spend my time doing and how am I going to live a life that feels really aligned with where I see myself, which is why I love the ethos behind boundless life. Mm-hmm. So tell me how you got <laughs> to the
1: place of boundless as, as a word. Yes. This, the experience. This, I love telling this story. So, you know, I had this experience, but tapping and literally like no joke, like my chest pain went away. Wow. Like literally when I was like, oh, you're telling me to trust myself. And I had four weeks to try to figure this out, right? Like, oh, how do I trust myself again? And I'm telling you this wild story. So when I was like in sixth grade or seventh grade, I may have been seventh grade. My middle name is Nicole, N-E-C-O-L-E. Well, I changed it to Nicolette. Okay, <laughs> I love that. Song. I had an aunt. Her name is Dolores. She used to tell her name. She used to tell people that her name was Dolores, and I thought that was like mo- the most fascinating thing. And she yes. was like, "I love cheetah print. Like, she's my cheetah print queen. Like, literally." And I remember being said, "My name is Nicolay. And it was so real for me at the time that even when I graduated from eighth grade, it was on my diploma. I like, love girl, that with a little apostrophe over the e. And so. At some point, Nicolay went away. Right. Mm-hmm. I grew up. Um, and literally, I kid you not, this whisper came back and it was Nicolay. It was kind of like, like, I remember saying something and it was kind of like, girl, you fly. Right. And I was like, yep. oh, hey, who's this? And yes. it was Nicolet. Yes. And I was like, oh, That girl that I was like way back when, right, when I trusted myself, still unsure of myself, I was like a tween or what have you, but I had a better sense of who I was, what I wanted, all the things. Then I started looking at pictures over the years and I noticed like a sense of like like almost a little bit of conformity. Yeah. Even in my physical appearance, having to kind of go through medicine. And I realized that some of the disruption that I was feeling coincided with how I was wearing my hair. Yes. I went to a place where I was like pretty much like I mean, not bringing a lot of attention to myself. Right. Like you can see the black suits, hair pulled back, things like that. Then I started doing braids. Then I started coloring my hair. You know, I love me a good blonde. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I cut it short and I wasn't like, you know, straightening it and I had short hair. Then I started shaving the sides. Now, like, I'm locking up. And literally, I saw a couple of things happen. One, my relationship with some of my patients and the connectedness that I had became super authentic. Yeah. And in a way that they were seeking me out. Uh-huh. So as I became more authentic, I started having deeper patient relationships. But as I was becoming more authentic, I started feeling this restlessness. Right. And so from the point that I was like chest pain to Nicolet coming back in my ear, the message that I also was getting is that I needed to really build out a better um, spiritual foundation. Um, I grew up Christian, my I, grew, I went to Catholic school for 12 years, right? <laughs> baptized Catholic, but I went to Catholic school for 12 years. I can give you all the Hail Marys, everything. And um, I was talking to my therapist and she was like, I was like, you know, some of the devotionals that I read, they're not really empowering in a way for someone like me. Like I'm very cerebral. I want to get something that's going to make me feel like, like yep. I can conquer the world. And so she recommended this little devotional and it came in the mail. And while all of this was going on, This particular day, the message said, be boundless. Mm -hmm. And the message went on to say, you are a child of God. We are made in God's image. So why are you playing small? Do you think God is small or is God infinite? So if you are made in God's image, I need you to step into who you are. Be boundless. Be life's muse. Like, this is literally what this thing wow. said on this particular day. And I was like, balance. And so, of course, the nerd in me, I go to my dictionary and I'm like, what does balance really mean? And it was like vast, Dense, mm-hmm. right? I always felt like, you know, I got a mouthpiece, as you could tell. My adjective was always talkative to Nequa. And so I was <laughs> like, how am I being vast yeah. and dense That's true to me. Right. then, it said without bounds. And I was like, I have felt so bound Mm -hmm. by whatever, like caricature that I'm carrying around. And so the thought boundless, how can I show up and be boundless in everything I do? How can I be boundless? And that kept kind of like playing and playing and playing. And so I went on this like challenge um, where I was like, I'm going to be boundless. I'm going to be vast. I'm going to be immense. I'm going to be life's muse. And I'm going to post on Instagram every day for like 14 days about my boundless, my, my burnout journey. And what started happening was that women who were like me, I'll be 42 this year. They were kind of like in that, like just over 40. Yep. And they were just experiencing all of this, like disappointment Mm -hmm. in where they were. Not that they weren't successful, but it was just like, is this it? Isn't there more? And I remember that word, oh, we're not living in a boundless way. Like, what is your dream? Mm-hmm. And when I tell you, I'm t- when I tell you, I literally went into my shower because now I'm home, my kids are at camp. So I got a little time. Right. I was in my shower. And sometimes we are not used to being in silence and in quiet. But it's in those moments of silence and quiet when we're not doing, what we're just like being and listening that literally the framework for the coaching program came to me. Yeah. It just like popped in my head. It was like, you got to break down, then you got to break up and then you got to break through. And that is how you get to a boundless midlife. That is the transformation. Break down how you got here. What was that original dream? Mm -hmm. How do you release that shame? How do you then give yourself self-compassion and self-forgiveness, you know, empower your boundaries and reclaim your power? And then how do you, I say, you know, how do you realign your purpose? How do you dream a new dream, chart a new legacy? What does that look like? And it's possible. Literally in the shower, I started crying. I
0: was like, okay. I. But see, just hearing <laughs> your story explains why I've always adored you because there's so much, there's so much of what you said. I mean, because I, I for myself, like one of the things I've often said to people is like, you know, there are tons of things I'm not good at. The things that I am good at, I'm, I know for sure. And one of the things that I always really pride myself on is self-awareness. I really know me. And I often say whether it's to my therapist or to a friend, I'm like, even if I can't fix me, I know me. Like, Mm -hmm. I know what my stuff is. I know the areas. And something that you said is so, it resonates with me, which is you understood yourself enough to say that the things I'm trying to use to solve this don't work for me, right? Like, and, and something that you said in particular, it's like, I myself am an incredibly spiritual person. My faith is incredibly important to me. And also I'm extremely academic. Like I want to dig into the things and I, what you, something that you actually said is so a Brietta thing because I'm <laughs> constantly like looking up the words and I want to, cause I love language. And so, and it's no wonder that I work in marketing and communications because <laughs> I love language. I love words. And so One of the biggest ahas actually, a spiritual practice that I started, because I loved doing Bible studies, but I actually wanted to study. And Mm -hmm. it was really hard for me because I felt like I was accessing things that were preaching or message, which are like good, but I wanted to study. I wanted to learn. And someone recommended to me actually like studying like the Greek roots of the words and like mm-hmm. actually breaking down the language. And so I did this practice for myself where I took one of my favorite passages of scripture found in the Bible and I transposed it according mm-hmm. to like its original meaning. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so interesting. And it today it's had such an impact on me because it was like, four sentences that ended up being like an entire page and a half of, of translation. And I remember just thinking, I was like, there's so much to learn in this. But mm-hmm. th- the reason why I bring it up is this idea of like, it, there's a very specific type of person that sees a gap and is like, "Uh, nothing fits what I'm looking for. And then there's another person who like, oh, there's nothing that fits. I'm going to build it right? Like there's nothing that fits what I'm looking to do and I'm going to build it. And I'm curious because I know your passion for like the midlife phase Mm -hmm. of women and obviously your passion to like help folks actually live a boundless life. I'm curious about what have you learned about folks at this age and stage? Like what is it about that Perimenopausal midlife yeah. space that makes so many people ask this question like, is this it? Like, is this the life that I'm gonna lead? What is that? You know,
1: I I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> there was this book. Um, oh my gosh, I wish I had it uh as a reference that specifically speaks to this idea that like when you hit your 40s, it is like pretty much determined that you will have some sort of crisis, Right. And, you know the term midlife crisis, like that comes from that. I don't fully understand why that happens. When my husband turned forty, um, his uncle called him and said, "This is the best decade of your life because you still, for the most part, God willing, have your health. Yeah, you physically can get things, but you know a little something, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. from the professional trajectory. Maybe your debt is down. Maybe you're like in the throes of raising children. You're in, but then you're just kind of like you sit up and you're kind of like, wait, is." This is this it, mm-hmm. and so the piece from p- perimenopause and the menopausal transition. What, like, I study that a lot, obviously. And while I'm on the younger spectrum of that, you are kind of looking into the future a little bit. So, yeah. when you start experiencing those changes, recognizing that you are now transitioning into like a physiologic change, like, I mean, your body. Physically changes. It changes the way it looks. It changes the way it feels. You know, whether that's hot flushes or weight gain or all of these things. And then you layer on all of those psychosocial aspects mm-hmm. that you're dealing with. You're dealing with raising children. You're dealing with almost hitting those ceilings, right? Yeah. Not the glass ceilings, those concrete ceilings. Like yes, you're, you're you're hitting these ceilings at work. Like you're not building, and either you are kind of building or like you kind of um, um, hit a, a dead end. You're, you have aging parents and you're trying to make decisions for them. You have relationship issues. You, there's so many things that come about that makes you feel like, gosh, I'm going to... I laugh all the time. I'm like, I'm saving up for a tiny house because I'm out of here. I'm gonna have a little retreat (laughs) somewhere. I so I tell people all the time, I'm
0: like, if if you don't see me for like longer than three days, I've I've committed to this plan of like finding a cabin someplace and like just like completely getting off the grid. I'm like, so so I I tell people like if you don't hear from me in like three days, I committed to this thing. I'm like, I'm out living my wilderness cabin, like life because you're like and I I think this is the other piece. It's so funny we're talking about this. Life is so funny this way because I was actually having this conversation. It's like being at this age, when you start to hit your 40s, it is such an interesting mind space to be in because while you go through transitions throughout your entire life, there's something about the transitions at this stage that start to feel more final. Mm. Right. Like there's something about like, you know, for myself, I'm starting to really deal with like having an aging parent and Mm. what does that look like? And like, you know, even as I explore things like, do I want to start a family? Because like biologically, like that door is like either open or closed at a certain point. (laughs) Like it feels like where before you might've gone through life's transitions, there was always time. Right. And so I think, as you reach this stage in life, you start to ask yourself, I think maybe that's what lends itself to that. Like, is this all there is? Because you're really aware of like, if I'm going to live the next 20, 30 years of my life doing something, it's gotta be something that I love and that I feel passionate about. But one of the questions I want to ask you about this is, I find so you know for for those who are listening to this podcast. I almost forgot we were doing a podcast, Dr. Miller. (laughs) I was just talking to you. But for those of you who are listening, you may or may not know I did do some research on, you know, Black women professional development and the concrete ceiling. Well, you were one of the first people that I sent this to, and it was really an act of courage for me. I was like, I was like, because. It, it was an act of courage because I was like, no, but she's like for real smart. You know, I'm like, so, so, you know, I have a lot of people who are smart, but I'm like, no, like technically on paper, she's like actually smart. And so I sent it to you and I was so encouraged by how receptive you were to it but i think from a timing perspective when i think about when i sent you that paper it seems to align with sort of where you were mm-hmm. at, like mentally in this journey of burnout and i'm and i'm curious i don't know and i think this is something that i'm passionate about it's the reason i wanted you on the podcast i just don't know that i hear enough women of color and black women actually talk about this feeling of burnout I don't know that we've ever given ourselves permission Mm -hmm. to actually be multidimensional enough to say like, I'm struggling, Mm -hmm. right? I think we do really well with achievement, right? Like we do really well with like, I'm going to go get it. I'm going to advance. I don't know a lot of black women who actually talk about like pausing Mm -hmm. and stopping and reassessing and figuring out like maybe More for my life is less
1: professionally
0: or less in those spaces. And so I'm curious for you, did you feel like there was anyone that you could have a conversation with about being a Black woman who is highly accomplished, like on paper, and you are an accomplished professional, and yet you were saying, this might not be what I want. Did you feel like you
1: had someone to have those conversations with? So it's interesting. Um, The places where I felt the most shame with like my community, my friend, like, you know, kind of like my close friend circle, people who weren't in medicine, my family, they were like, when are you gonna leave that job, girl? Like, like, literally, they were really behind me. And it was really this self-imposed Idea of who I wanted to be for them. Yeah, my mom was just kind of like, "When are you going on leave? When are you taking your time off? You don't seem happy, you know." And she was constantly, and this is a woman who like worked at a job. I mean, hey, shout out to the post office, got me through yep. school, right? But, but it was hard for her. And there were right. times she would like want to throw in the towel because she didn't want to do it anymore. But out of necessity, she did. And she would always say to me, "You don't have to do that. Like, you actually have resources, savings, a partner, like." you could take some time off and figure it out and figure out something else to do. And so I kind of felt off the hook there. But and then even my friends who are not in medicine and I would describe kind of what life was like. Mm -hmm. You know, I saw this wonderful post um, that a friend of mine posted on social media about how do you get your non-medical friends to really understand what you do? Imagine you have 12 clients and you have to provide them with like, um, you know, briefs for all of them within like twenty minutes each. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this like constant, you know. And then after the pandemic, there was so much need—not just of like kind of like women's health, but also a lot of need in terms of um, psychiatric help for yes. our patients. And so you you constantly get that dumping into you, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to like process that in some way. So my folks outside of medicine, they very much were like, "Girl, take some time off." You know, they, wow. that was the issue it was within the community. It was never demonstrated. You always felt like you were at extremes and I've left altogether or you push through. And the, the, the worst case scenario is that you committed suicide, right? right? Because many high profile cases of women during the pandemic, women physicians who were committing suicide. And it's kind of like, you have to be at these extremes, yeah. You don't really see the people in the middle who are struggling, who are good and struggling, and they just need a pause. And so you don't really have an example. You mm-hmm. really have an example, like even like mentors who I know absolutely love me and adore me. They were just like, oh, so you going on leave? Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you say to that? Which yeah. again perpetuated the shame for me, like oh my gosh, like you know, I, can't I can't handle it. it. Yeah, I can't make... handle it. Yeah. I'm not strong enough. And then let's not get into like the whole black woman trope of strong black woman, which yep. I love. I love uh, NAP ministry when she talks about sit down, yeah, lay down, go mm-hmm. take a nap. Right. It's and it's true. the idea that we have to be so strong. And, you know, I talk to my husband about this all the time. When you have, like, in my generation, I grew up with nothing but women, there were no yeah. men around. And so I saw my mom, my grandmother, my aunt, like, they just pushed through. Yep. And here I am in my little privileged little world talking about, oh, I need a break. They didn't get breaks, you know, I and know. So don't really see the examples. And, I remember meeting with one of my mentors who's very senior and telling her some of this. And she's like, girl, they watching you, they looking at you, they're seeing what you're doing and you are actually like setting somebody free. Yeah. You are giving them permission to feel all the feels, even if you don't know it, or even, e- even if you don't know them. Mm-hmm. And so that was the thing that made me feel okay. And then also trusting myself to know that I needed a break.
0: Yeah. I, I, So something that you just said that I think is so important, I do think, and I talk about this a lot, like the power of mentors, the power Mm -hmm. of actually having safe spaces to go to, to actually be honest enough to say, like, I'm struggling. I don't know what to call it. I don't know what it is. I don't know maybe even what I should do. But having those places where you can actually be honest about what you're struggling about and also, I read this interesting article a, a few years ago that was talking about how for black folks who have black therapists or black counselors, the results are actually better, like statistically better, because there's this sort of inherent intrinsic understanding of that just being black Thing That you're dealing with in the world around you. And I think (laughs) one of the things that when I think about your journey, especially knowing so much of like what you've spent your time doing and what you've committed to, I, I would imagine that there is this pressure to be like a good example for other black young women physicians, but to also be true to yourself enough to say like, I cannot I can't be all things to these people. I have to honor the fact that like my body, my mind, my spirit are telling me that like Mm -hmm. something's got to change. And I'm curious about now having gone through this process, what have you learned that feels like I can now help other young doctors, young black women doctors, like, Here's some things that I learned through this process that you need to know to help you navigate some of these changes.
1: Yeah, And, and you know, and, so, and some of that takes a little bravery. I'm not even going to lie to you. Yeah. And so when I tell folks this and I say it, I don't think that especially the younger folks, I mean, we're dealing with like. Eons of time of conditioning and training, especially as you're coming through medicine, but I would say even all of the professional fields, like there is a certain way you do things. Yep. One thing that really, when I was coming back to myself, I don't, I'm telling you these like weird things will pop in my mind. You remember Pretty Woman, the movie Pretty Woman? And there's this guy at the end of the movie and he's like, Welcome to Hollywood. What's your dream? You know? (laughs) And it made me think of like when Julia Roberts character gets to Hollywood, she does not intend to be a prostitute. Right. He had a dream. Mm -hmm. Right. And not to say that at some point in academics, I was like prostituting myself, but like I had a dream. Now, maybe I lost that dream along the way, or it wasn't clear to me what that dream was, Yeah, but somewhere along the way, I was no longer living that original dream. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that I tell my clients is I want you to go back to the why, like, um, the founder of Toyota, I was reading this in, um, the, uh, uh, Celeste Hetley has a book, um, do nothing. And she talks about the why, like, why are you doing the things that you're doing? And for me, I had to go back to the why, why am I a physician? Why yeah. did I go to medical school? Why, why, why? It really, it all came back to me wanting to empower women and girls yes. to have full majesty over their bodies. Like yeah. literally that was it. And I remember being like, a tween schooling the girls on periods, and I do not really yet. You know, so so, but like being like so intrigued and fascinating, and and hearing like how the girls would talk about their bodies or how boys would regard them, like oh, she's a project girl because I also grew up with the projects, and it was like oh, she's a project girl, and you know those girls, and it's kind of like no, I don't know those girls. Those mm-hmm. girls are bad. Those girls are you know, and and it was just kind of like that was the original dream. Yeah, that was the original dream.
0: And so, how do I end up over here? <laughs> well, uh, it's so, and it's you know the thing that I love about what you're saying is it's actually so easy to be misdirected, and I think you know when life starts to take you in these directions, it happens so incrementally that mm-hmm. by the time you look up, you're like, wait. How did I get over here? And something that I want to ask you about, because you did mention, you know, you were raised by a single mother. You So you weren't raised with like all the bells and whistles of life. You go to medical school, you work a job that has created a certain standard of life. And I think, you know, this is something that I've been asking myself over the past few years post-pandemic. It's like, I know that I enjoy what my work brings me financially, Mm -hmm. And yet I know choices need to be made. Mm -hmm. Like I I know that because, and so I was talking ironically in therapy and my therapist was asking me, like I was telling her all the things that I'm doing. And she's like, yeah, no wonder you're burnt out. She's like, like, any one of those things, if you were just doing that would be enough to keep you stressed. And she asked me, she's like, so why do you do them? And I told her, I was like, well, candidly, financially, I like, I do like the fact that I can have a comfortable life and do all those things. And so I haven't yet figured out the answer, but she did pose (laughs) the question. She posed the question, which was like, you're going to have to decide what is worth giving up. Like what's worth giving up. And I have not yet made that decision. I'm going to, I'm
1: actually, I'm going to challenge it Okay, a little bit, because I think when you get really clear, Mm -hmm on the why which is what I tell people get clear on your why and so when all of these other things show up at your doorstep that do not support that why that's good you say no yeah and what happens when you say no to those things mm-hmm. it gives space that's it gives so true. like like space for all of the things that are in alignment with that original why to come your way I will tell you when I told you I resigned from everything <laughs> like I did I was just like Literally sitting there, not so much like, I don't want to be involved and things like that. But literally what I like sat down is what is my why? Yeah. Is this in alignment with that why? And if it wasn't, it had to go. I had to make that promise to myself. But you know what was in alignment with that why? This mouthpiece. Right. Talking. Talking. So then all of a sudden, and I invested in myself, I did a speaking coaching program. I'm talking like I've I've had um, speaking um, opportunities where I'm actually able to talk about burnout. I just came from a retreat in Jamaica talking about burnout. I have a presentation where I'm giving both my keynote on perimenopausal transitions and burnout. University of Kentucky. I'm talking in Arizona in May, like all of a sudden I was like, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. I don't know. Oh, that's so good, though. But. And 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 another thing that I did, which I highly recommend that everyone does, um, take a strengths finder. Mm-hmm. We don't do this in medicine. And actually, that's a project that I'm working on with a colleague of mine. We don't do this in medicine enough. Business, they they got the memo a long time ago. Yep. But I joined the business community when I was first trying to figure out what Taniqua MD would be. Yep. And it was like, you need to take a strengths attes- assessment. So I took Clifton Strengths.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All of my strengths are in um influencer, all of my strengths are in strategic thinking. I had zero execution strength. I was like, I can execute now. (laughs) But it explains so much about why when I had to sit down and write these papers and format the margins, why I just couldn't sit down and do it. And I thought it was because I was a terrible physician, academic physician, that I didn't have what it takes to be promoted because that's part of the promotion pathway Whereas my friend was like, girl, don't do that. Pay somebody to do that. You know what I mean? Like right. let them do it. But literally that was like part of like the, the the shame, like, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. I can't get promoted. I don't have enough of this. I don't have enough of that. Mm-hmm. But when I started playing into my strengths, recognizing that I've always been talkative to Nico. that's my adjective, right? Mm-hmm. I, my, my strength is futuristic positivity, winning over others. Like that is what I do. Yeah. That is my strength. Once I'm in my strengths, it's not work. Yes,
0: that I I love what you're saying, because I do think that this is something that I, I definitely have seen the trend change, but there's so we can do so much better, which is we we penalize people for having weaknesses, right? Like we say, like, you need to work on this area when it's really just a matter of like just acknowledge that like that's not you. And that's okay. Right. Like just double down on the things that you are good at. And I think you're right. It is about having that filter of saying, okay, this is the dream for myself. And if everything that comes to me, I have to have the discipline to filter through that to Mm -hmm. say like, does that serve it? If -hmm. it doesn't, it, it should be easy to say no to all of those things. Because I think that what happens is a lot of people end up with lives that are just like a collection Mm -hmm. of things. Like they picked up that over there, they picked up that over there and they've never taken the time to stop and look at the full collection and be like, what picture is this painting, (laughs) right? Like I'm doing this over here, I'm doing that over here. I don't know why I'm doing those things. I just am. And there's not a lot of time given to people to stop and ask those questions. But I do think something that you said feels really important. One of the things I've noticed as a theme uh, on the interviews that I've had on the podcast is that collectively, and we all know this, collectively, COVID gave everyone the opportunity. It forced the issue of like, if you were down to just like you and this life, are you happy with it? Right. And it forced a lot of people to ask some of these deeper questions that they haven't been able to ask before. I'm curious, when you're working with your clients through your program, how are women like how are you helping guide women to like ask those deep questions? What is that? What, what does that process look like?
1: So I'm currently in a doctor coach school with, doc- I mean, she's amazing and doing some of the coaching, really just asking the questions. Why are you doing that? What is yeah. this bringing up for you? Um, I do a lot of the coaching. I realized I was doing so much coaching in my midlife practice where you had people coming in, had sick parents, COVID, things like that. And I'm like, I know this is hard for you. What are you doing to reclaim a little bit of yourself during this process and really just asking the question. Sometimes it's not about finding the answer for them. It's really for them to feel empowered in getting the answer for themselves, which has been incredible to see happen. Mm -hmm. Like, what is it that you want? If you could dream big and absolutely big, like what would that be? For me, this whole kind of like making sure you get clear on what your original dream was, that when things come to you now, how did that feel to let go? Yeah. And stick with that feeling, mm-hmm. you know, stick with that feeling. I can tell from my own experience, I think I was so done at that point, but like when something came up and I was, and I said, no. That was part of my framework of having empowered boundaries and saying no. Yeah. That's something that we're very uncomfortable doing. And what it did in turn, it made me feel powerful. Yeah. It made me feel like I was looking out for myself. Right. Like, because it was easy stuff, right? It's like, oh, this is easy. I'll, I'll just do it. Right. Mm-hmm. While I'm hemming and hawing and I'm mad and oh God, I got to do this thing. Yes. And it totally is just kind of like, No. Like I put this boundary in place because it's not in alignment with my original purpose, my dream that feels really good in my body. Like really understanding what feels good in your body is super important. Again, it came back to that chest pain and that being my intuition and nothing to be afraid of. So trusting myself. Yeah. And That's what I impart to, to clients It's like trust yourself. Yeah. And there's so much kind of brainwashing along the way that we no longer trust ourselves. And it's a practice. That same little book that told me to be boundless. Mm-hmm. There was also another chat, like another little like daily devotional that said, whose flag are you waving? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whose flag are you waving? Are you are you in alignment with what you're like, the flag that you were? Are you proud to wave this flag? And this was in, the idea was like get clear, get yeah, clear on who you are. Now yes. that's easier than done, and that is why you go through coaching. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, you get from that point A to point B because it is a process. Because there is so much unlearning yeah. that we have to do, and I would say even as women, we constantly, constantly are taught to not trust ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's not so- trust your body not trust your thoughts. How many times have you sat in a meeting and you've said, oh, this doesn't feel right. And you hesitate to say something and then somebody else says it even though it was your thought in your head all along, yeah. we don't trust ourselves enough to kind of step out in that way. And so I get it. It's very challenging. There's a lot of unlearning that you have to do. There's a lot of, you know, I call it my bravado to like, try to like, mm-hmm. be like, you almost have to like hype yourself up, you know, like you have to have a hype girl, you know, Nicolette is my hype girl. You right, know? right. <laughs> but, it, but
0: it is about the trusting yourself. And, and I love when you talk about tapping into your power is something that once you get a sense of that, feeling it helps guide you to do it more often for Mm -hmm. sure I'm curious about what your what your dream is for Taniqua MD like -hmm. you're like now officially a founder like you're running your own thing you're waving your own flag and so what is your what is your dream for what this will be
1: Of course, I have what every early entrepreneur has. I want to do everything. (laughs) Um, When I first started out with the brand and I really, again, even that, even that was Following everyone else's lead. I looked at kind of like the midlife menopausal space and I was like, there's a lot of people in that space. And obviously I should have known that once you click on a menopause, the algorithm sends you more menopause. And then, you know, you're going to see all the menopause and you're like, oh, this place is like crowded and this is not me. And I love my coach because she says, you are one, you are one. Your story is unique. Nobody is you, you know? And And so at the time I was doing some market research about like, what would you love to learn from gynecologists? And I was hearing the menopause piece, but people were like, and I wish I had something for my daughter. And so I have a daughter, I have a 10 year old. And I was like, I'm going to create like a tween program. And the program was fabulous. It was lovely. But again, I had like 11 girls in my first cohort. It was fun. I mean, the program was the bomb. Okay. <laughs> if you want to license if you have any friends who want to license it for a little tween program, like it was, it was really great and yeah. got great, great feedback. And then it was time to like launch again. I was like, I'm not feeling it. Yeah. Because yeah. it wasn't my flag. It yep. really meant what I really wanted to do, which was midlife menopausal health and really empowering women in this stage of midlife. So as I'm building out boundless midlife burnout recovery coaching, I still love talking to my ladies about perimenopause. And I'm trying, I would love to bring those two worlds together, sure. realizing that there's so much overlap in midlife, like we talked about, where you're starting to have these questions and these disappointments and these concerns and worries about where you are arriving, right? Yeah, yep. um, And the perimenopausal transition. It's and true. So that is my dream for Tinico MD to able to do both successfully, but also to find some synergy between the two Mm -hmm. um, so that there is a place for women in that stage, whether you're burning out, which I would argue there are a lot of people, even if they don't call it burnout, Mm -hmm. there is sort of dissatisfaction in that phase. That's why we have the term midlife crisis, like I said. And that merit menopausal transition. Yeah. And how do we get them to feel empowered through that menopausal transition? You know, I'm not silly. I adopted the same framework that I had for my teens. I called it the precisely framework. Um, and it it was for my midlife women. Yep. <laughs> I was like, oh. This is, this is why this was so easy to create, because this is what I envisioned for my midlife women, right? I have physiologic reproductive education to have energy and movement in their bodies to take time for that, as opposed to sacrificing for family and all of these other things, putting everyone else as a priority, except for themselves, finding that connection to community and prioritizing that because there's actually studies that show that that helps you through your transition in terms of symptom management, as well as your experience of your symptoms. Finding new identity and purpose. That's where I think the link is, right? Yeah. New identity and purpose. Like, what does that look like as a woman in your 40s, right? And then, and then really like that self-compassion piece, that has been a big thing. When I talked about the shame, crying, like being really just like, I'm, I'm not showing up as a mom. I'm not showing up as a wife. I'm not showing up even as a doctor. That was the one thing that I had. Right. It's true. To be able to give myself some self-compassion, like, sis, you got this. This is a the season. they are going to work it out. I know again, because I
0: know you, I know that there's so much potential for what you've created and I'm, and I I could talk to you all day. I won't take up more of your time, but, um, but I do want for people who are looking to learn more about your boundless program, who are maybe interested in you coaching them, or just want to learn more about what you're doing, tell folks where they can find you on all the things.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I am busy on Instagram. My assistant is like, let's get on TikTok. I, my brain, I just can't do it. Like, I <laughs> right. can't do it. She's going to, I'm going to get there one day. But right. really, on Insta, uh, Instagram, I'm Taniqua Miller, T A N I Q U A Miller, M-D. On my website is Taniqua, M-D-T-A-N-I-Q-U-A-M-D.com. On the website, it gives you information about how to connect with me, whether that is through one-to-one midlife coaching, whether it's that through burnout recovery, or even for speaking engagements. I have the most fun um, talking to groups of women. I've talked to church groups. I've talked to, I'll be talking at universities. I'm talking at, you know, influencer conferences. I, I like the spread of it all because I think that the message, if anything, is so universal. Yeah, so universal to all of our um our lived experiences as women in our 40s. And so um that's how you can find me. <laughs> I love it. And for everyone who's listening, I will obviously have
0: all of that linked in the description. I am so happy that I am the one who gets to introduce Dr. Taniqua Miller to this audience. If you like, if you were not able to take away from this conversation that she's so incredibly passionate, she cares so deeply. I can't, I mean, I knew this from her just as a physician and an educator, but to see all of that care and compassion and intentionality now going towards your coaching clients, I just can't recommend enough that this is a person that you should know. And I'm so grateful that you
1: said yes to being on the podcast. So thank you. Look, you have to kick me off here because, you know, I wasn't going to say Not yes to you, Brianna. (laughs) Well,
0: I am so thankful for everyone who's listening. I hope that you've taken away from this conversation so much. I know that I have. For everyone who's listening, you will be able to find all of the information, not just about this podcast episode, but all of the places where Dr. Miller's coaching program and all of her ways that you can connect with her will be in the description for this podcast for everyone who's listening, I think I delivered on my promise, which is always to bring you interesting people who can help us think more deeply in our lives. And I'm so thrilled with today's episode. So for everyone who's listening, thank you again for joining. And I'll be back with another episode really, really soon. Bye, everyone.